And now, New Galaxy Enterprises proudly presents Threshold Radio. This is Johnny Blue Star. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience, rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. Have you had a longing to create an original book, screenplay, or other media project, but neither had the time nor expertise to do it? I'm Johnny Bluestar, and I founded New Galaxy Enterprises to help ambitious, busy, but highly creative people fulfill their goals to create poignant media projects. If you need help to accomplish your goals, visit NewGalaxyEnterprises.com or contact me at JohnnyBlueStar at gmail.com. Turn your vision into a dazzling media reality. Manifest your media dream today. Threshold Radio has been around for well over a year, but recently we have experimented with what you might call a new level of empowerment. As you may know, our program postulates a spiritual connection between God and man in a manner open to members of any religion or any belief system, providing an individual allows himself to be open to the guidance, power, and comfort obtained by this connection. There is no doubt that for some, like myself, this can be a long path indeed, but speaking for myself again, well worth the effort. Besides taking action to align one's mind, body, and spirit with the Divine Presence, the question is how to put this to action, not only with oneself, but also with friends, family, and associates, as well as with the responsibilities of a citizen of a sovereign nation, whatever that is, and as a citizen of the world, of this planet Earth. Anyone who spends the slightest time in study and reflection realizes that this Earth's survival hangs on a delicate balance between the forces of peace and the forces of war, the government and industrial policies headed towards a clean, safe environment, and those headed towards environmental and even planetary destruction. Moreover, the entire world may stand owing to sovereign personal and business indebtedness on the verge of an economic collapse. In our country in particular, although also true of other countries, voters have customarily been extremely lazy about utilizing their voting rights to truly regain their power over a government in this so-called representative democracy. Surely, recently, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump have resurrected a lot of voter activity, but unfortunately, as far as my assessment goes, the present administration has done nothing to accelerate the necessity of regaining our rights, creating a safe environment, taking care of financial protections for citizens, many of whose prosperity was taken away in 2008. To me, the ideal voter is enlightened, informed, and empowered, and given the crisis facing mankind, I'm in the process of creating a social network called The Planet. This network will empower voters to communicate with each other online, collectively develop initiatives for elected officials and government agencies, and campaign and promote people running for office in primary or general elections. In order to affect liberty, justice, and prosperity on this planet, we must take back the power from special interest groups and empower the people. 
So our intention is to offer a social network with two main functions. One, to inspire a global dialogue about citizen human rights to certain designated countries. Two, to create an online platform for political empowerment where we can do the things mentioned above and more for sovereign nations, beginning first with the United States. I'm happy to have with me today Hugo Rodier, MD, an integrated physician who has been with us before in certain specific programs. Trusting his spiritual and ethical consciousness, I've asked him to join me on programs beyond his special areas to bring his spiritual insight to bear on the weighty problems facing our country and the world. Now we are on an enhanced schedule, I'm planning on bringing some other regular co-hosts to help broaden our horizons and deal with spiritual power needed to bring us more happiness, improve our relationships and our employment or business, and become better citizens on planet Earth. In a few moments, we will return with our co-host, Dr. Hugo Rodier, MD. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio or video products on the internet, television or radio, musical scores for advertising, television or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing and useful technology and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast and we offer client-based and collaborative products, as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com Dot com. That's www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. Welcome back to Threshold Radio. I'm happy today to share the podium with Hugo Rodier, MD. He'll be with me on Threshold as we discuss various political and social issues from the standpoint of a spiritual perspective described in our general introduction to this program. First thing I want to mention is the launch of North Korea's second intercontinental missile, which a number of analysts claim could reach the United States. Let's, let's listen to this. The latest move by North Korea involving another intercontinental ballistic missile. Kim Jong-un claims they are now able to hit the entire United States at any time. ABC's Gloria Rivera is in Washington with more on the launch and how the United States is responding. Good morning, Gloria. Good morning, John. Good morning, Paula. North Korea delivering on its promise, ignoring multiple warnings from the U.S. and going ahead with its 11th missile test this year alone. We are learning more about the launch site, which came as somewhat of a surprise. Mupyongni is a mountainous region near China where the regime is believed to hide numerous missiles in underground tunnels. Blasting off a launch pad near the Chinese border, this North Korean missile for the first time appearing capable of reaching across the continental U.S. North Korea later releasing photos claiming to show leader Kim Jong-un posing next to what it says is a Hwasong-14 missile. North Koreans have a missile that can hit the lower 48, but now we're talking Seattle, Denver, Chicago, maybe even as far as New York and Washington, D.C. Moments after learning of this alarming development, the president on a conference call with his national security team. 
In a statement, the president condemned the launch, calling it reckless and dangerous, saying the United States will take all necessary steps to ensure the security of the American homeland and protect our allies in the region. The United States is also advancing its capabilities with what are called ground-based interceptors and intercept these North Korean missiles before they could reach land. The intercontinental ballistic missile went higher and flew longer than this powerful July 4th test. It was airborne for about 45 minutes, shooting approximately 2,300 miles into space before coming down in the Sea of Japan, 620 miles from its launch site. But the North Koreans can lower the angle of that trajectory to vastly extend the range, potentially all the way to the east coast of the U.S. This latest test did not demonstrate whether North Korea can successfully arm the missile with a nuclear warhead. But just this week, the Defense Intelligence Agency predicted that could happen within the year. In response, the U.S. staged a joint military exercise with South Korea. But some experts say only getting back to the negotiation table will help. Military threats or bluster w won't stop them. It's time for the president of the United States, the great deal maker, to see if he can make a deal. North Korea media is reporting that the leader Kim Jong-un vows he will continue these tests targeting the U.S. The president of the United States' closest ally in the region, South Korea, wants to talk with the United States about deploying more anti-missile defense units in the region and tougher sanctions from the U.N. Well, what do you think of that? Kind of a, an interesting development. Well, personally, I, I just have to wait and see because it seems like we've been to this rodeo before where we're threatened by outside powers that um, that are going to come and kill us and kill our children in our beds and and rape our women. Now I I just have to wait and see. I I just fear that here we go again. Are we getting ready to justify another attack on another nation? Now uh, the North Koreans are no saints. Uh, Saddam Hussein was no saint. But here we go again. You know I let's just wait and see. I. I Here's a nation who has South Korea to the border, armed to the teeth with our soldiers. They've been defeated before. America went there before and conquered the peninsula. And, of course, it didn't go very well at the end. But uh, these are people that uh, have a history of, of being invaded. And, of course, again, there are no saints. But, uh, well, of course, they want to defend themselves and I'm not justifying any of the actions of, from the North Koreans. The difference is that I, that I see is that unlike any other situation in the world, except maybe the Cuban Missile Crisis, but not even that, they have directly uh, said they would attack us and uh, are showing videos of our cities, cities being destroyed, which I think is it's unique for several reasons. One reason is that the, compared to... Uh, to their nuclear capacities and our capacities to defend ourselves, they're like ants. Exactly. They, they don't have any. Now, I'm not saying that they couldn't destroy a, a city or maybe several cities. Well, they would definitely be destroyed, but uh, nonetheless, that destruction of them would hurt a lot of people in South Korea. Uh, who knows how many other people would be hurt because uh, a nuclear explosion has more effects than just where it's, it, it, it happens locally. So I, I just think it's a, it's interesting that uh, that this man is actually almost begging for some kind of military action. Yes, but you know I still think um, that that we're a whoremonging nation. We we love to go to war, and I think that we need to calm down and and just wait and see. And 
pretty soon we're going to start hearing that we need to have a preemptive strike. And that's the same thing we've heard before. I'm just too old to just uh, buy what the mainstream media is saying. Well, I definitely think that we are initiating war after war after war, not for the sake of uh, helping another nation, but for the sake of gain for a certain number of, of companies and people. And, yes. Uh, and, uh, but th this situation is an odd one. Certainly China could, uh, certainly China has much more power to per of persuasion than we do. And China really hasn't done very much. It sent back a coal ship, but it actually increased, as I understand it, it actually increased its trade after, uh, during the time that they did that. Well, but, but if you look at the map, North Korea is a buffer between China and South Korea, where we have military bases, nukes, uh, all kinds of weapons. So it's in, the, it's in the interest of China to have a buffer. So to expect uh, China to slap North Korea's hands is like getting rid of that buffer for China. So I don't, I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for the Chinese to do anything. I, I think the ge geopolitics of it are such that it makes perfect sense for the Chinese to have like a, a, a junk junkyard dog in their southern border. Well, they've, they've, they've brought in, we have three Trident submarines there. E each of them could kill, I believe, 140 million people. Right. And, so, and, and we're right there because, because right. of North Korea. So I would think that uh, they would rather us not destroy North Korea and, and do something to helpful. I'm not saying I want to destroy North Korea. I'm really against this whole uh, kind of nuclear weaponry. <laughs> I mean, I think the whole psychology of mutually assured destruction, which can actually destroy the planet, is, is completely out of sync with higher reality. But well, we're old enough to remember the Gulf of Tonkin, and it, it was a big red flag, false flag operation. And look, I'm not saying this is the same. I'm just saying there's something here we're not aware of. There, there's something stinks in the state of Denmark. Well, one thing that to me is is almost laughable is that Trump at one point said, "Well, I'm going to talk to this guy," unlike Obama. Uh, whenever it's you know whenever it's appropriate. Well, nobody's talking to this guy. The head of China, uh, Obama, and, and Trump—they're not talking to this guy. Nobody's really talking to him. They're isolating him because he's a bad boy. And by but I don't see how that isolation is producing any good results at all, except an except a, an enormous attempt to speed up their nuclear weapons program. Well, you know, I I'm hoping that somebody from within will take him out. As gruesome as that sounds, it's pretty. It's a historical fact that whenever we have crazy people like this in control, their own people take will take them out before too long. And I'm sure I think that would be the best outcome. But of course, we can't sit around for that to happen either. So it's and a bit you, of and you do have people like Hitler who, you know, his people didn't really take him out. I mean, there's lots of dictators who aren't taken out by their own people. Saddam Hussein wasn't taken out by his, their own people, but uh, somehow uh, Gaddafi kind of was in a way. It's just, yeah. it's just uh, you have a very tight, tightly controlled and programmed population there, and uh, 
this is one of the bigger problems that, that I think the world has is that people are not really thinking. And I think that it, it, I think it would be in China's interest to do something about this uh, if they really thought about it, because they don't want if if indeed we attacked uh, successfully North Korea and, and and we could get past the radiation, of course we could we or South Korea could probably take it over. Not that it would be exactly a dream territory to take over. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is just a horrible situation. Yeah. It's a horrible situation. Well, both you and I know that all we can do is watch and wait. You know, there's not much we can do. I would say wiser heads will prevail, but I don't see them. <laughs> well, we can only hope. Let's say we can hope. And now, Patty Greer's Are You the One? This is Johnny Blue Star, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. Initially, I wanted to be a playwright, but once in college, I fell in love with movies and have been writing my own and for clients for many years. No, I'm not entrenched in Hollywood. But I think if you look at my samples, you can determine if I can capture the drama and power of your idea. I'm up to refining your work to professional quality. I've worked on dramatic films, comedy, science fiction, documentaries, and even musicals. I have several books published now that are the beginning of book and film franchises. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. Now, Trump recently went to Suffolk County in Long Island to talk to the police about the MS-13 gang. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand over. Like, don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody, don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away, okay? What he said was, if you're going to have a suspect, don't be too nice to them. And he started talking about, well, you know... You know about people being thrown into trucks or you kind of putting your hand on their head when they go into the car. So he right. basically said, let's get, let's get rougher with our suspects. Well, this is very interesting to me. 
because before my father retired, the year that he retired, he's an attorney. And my father used to take a lot of civil rights cases, if he could. And he did have a case in Suffolk County. And this was a, a, a relative of somebody who worked for us, her brother, and who was uh, African-American. And there were police who used to sit, sit, sit on a certain part of you know, in Suffolk County, and they'd wait for black people. And then they'd find something wrong. And then they'd have them arrested or find them. And, and this guy, his name was Joshua, he was targeted by these, this, this police, these police, who I know from subsequent information had a record of doing this. So he, he's taken out, he's taken out of the car. He had a, like a hanging license or some nonsense like that, something really minor. And this, the, the officer drops a cigarette case on the ground and says, pick it up and uses the N-word, and he refused to pick it up. So they threw him in the car, they gassed him, he was with his wife, they took him to the police, they, he wound up in the hospital, uh, it was found and, and in front of a jury, and it sort of agreed to by the judge that they doctored the police records, and he got off because of the police. It was an all-white panel, and I was there. And I saw this happen, so I just I just thought it was really peculiar that the that here he is countenancing I mean counseling the police on being brutal on police brutality in Suffolk County. That was awful. It was just awful. I I couldn't believe it. Uh, the only way I could swallow it down, I thought, well maybe he's joking, and I'm not in the room to kind of catch that joke, you know. But a president should be more more watchful of how he phrases things, you know, because of the people involved, stories like yours, you know, so totally inexcusable. The head of the Suffolk Police Department came out against it. It's just like yeah. the head of the Boy Scouts came against some of the <laughs> political things he said. I don't understand. Exactly. You know, he does, he does like to inject a little ambiguity into his ridiculous statements, but then when he comes out with the next one, so I want to play something for you here for the next part of our conversation. Donald Trump has declared that transgender individuals will not be allowed to join the military. Uh, he advised everyone about this uh, through Twitter, which is his favorite form of communicating with the American people. And it was a series of tweets, let me go ahead and read them to you. He said, after, uh, after consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the US military. Our military must be focused on decisive, and overwhelming victory and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgender in the military would entail. Thank you. Okay, so um, there is no tremendous medical cost. Uh, in fact, there have been studies that looked into this. One of those studies was released uh, in May of 2016 by the Rand Corporation. In fact, the Pentagon commissioned that study. And what they found, uh, and I think this is very relevant to the discussion, was that letting transgender people serve openly would have, quote, a minimal impact on readiness and healthcare costs, largely because there are so few in the military. Uh, there are 1.3 million members of the military, and the transgender component of the military is about 
1,300 to 6,000 individuals, okay? Yeah. So it's, it's hard to have um, exact numbers because some, you know, it's based on self-reporting and things like that. Um, but it would not be a huge cost burden at all. So uh, <laughs> that was an interesting thing that he did, wasn't it? You know, the biggest force for integration with African-Americans was the military. Uh -huh. And yeah. so at, that, at the grunt level, if you will, people were taught that we needed to get along and respect each other regardless of color. And so here we go with this situation where we sort of are denying those modifying forces that we have in our society, like the military. I mean, if people begin to truly accept LGBT people and transgender people in the military, then the next step is that we do it in society at large. But with one Twitter, we might be deprived of that shaping force in our society. Well, I think that the first thing I, I want to talk about is the fact that he didn't even tell the Pentagon. He created a, 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 um, an injunction, a policy, without telling them in advance that he was going to announce it. And furthermore, he didn't include any information about the people who were presently serving. I think that's remarkable. Yeah, totally uni unilateral, without counsel, or it, it's just amazing. I saw two generals talking to another. I think it was a navy, retired navy officer. But anyway, they had done, they they basically had written something. They were very much involved with the you know the ground level of the troop training and things. And they said that you know this has been going on for a year, where transgender people were allowed in the military, and. The military did ask for another extension of six months to study what was going on, but there's been no problem at all. And I guess because the fact is, like you're saying, as in with other minorities in the armed forces, the fact that you're always in, you know, that you're dealing with life and death situations makes you want to overlook the person's color or their gender or whatever. And, and if they're good to you and, good, and you're good to them in the field, it's okay. And but he's just disrupting, uh, you know. There's the other people say, "Well, we need a new social experiment." Well, this is it. <laughs> this exactly. is the best, the best place, right? Well, it just reflects his bigotry at a certain level, and uh, it's just shocking that um, he would do that. You know, it's not an efficient order right now. It's just a Twitter. So the generals are just sitting there for the official declaration. Maybe he won't come. Wishful thinking. Well, uh, he does have a. He does have a, um, I mean, it was so interesting with this, this, tra this ban on, on these Islamic countries, right? That, okay, so he couldn't get what he wanted. Because what he wanted was 90 days to improve the situation, right? To, to check their, uh, you know, how you get them into the country and all that, make it a better procedure, which is apparently a pretty rigorous procedure right now. But anyway, he wanted that, and he didn't get it because he was held up. So by the time it comes to the Supreme Court, more than 90 days had passed, and he didn't do anything. He just sat in his, you know, we, well, we'll just wait to see what happens. We, we don't have to bother fixing it. <laughs> but he could have fixed it, right? Or, well, you know, that also speaks of the people he has around him. And I just don't think they're professionals. You know, they're just yahoos from different uh, segments of society that uh, 
have been sucking up to them, so they get rewarded with uh, this position, that position. And I don't know that they're qualified. I think a lot of it is just the people he surrounded himself with. Well, he do- he doesn't mind tapping in people from Goldman Sachs, though, because they're exactly. definitely they're definitely qualified to completely <laughs> ruin the economy for most of us. Patriots Act is a Brent Marks legal thriller written by Kenneth Eade, a novelist and attorney, often appearing on Threshold Radio. It's about Ahmed, a naturalized U.S. citizen, formerly of Iraq, who was sent to Guantanamo Bay detention camp with no real knowledge of a crime he has committed. Brent Marks, a California attorney, is originally hired by Ahmed's wife to fight for his release. The novel opens with a convincing mock execution, a mode of torture meant to break down a prisoner in a brutal and traumatic way that foreshadows Ahmed's actual death in the hands of his accusers. Ahmed felt the butt of the rifle strike his spine as his knees buckled and he hit the floor. Move faster, Haji. Up against the wall. Stop there. Good. Listen up. My name is Sergeant Brown. You're here because you refuse to cooperate in interrogations. The decision has been made to execute you by firing squad. Wait, I'm an American citizen. Ahmed felt the black bag rip from his head and for the first time faced his aggressors. He found himself facing a man in camouflage fatigues, holding an M16 to his chest. Beside him, an eight-man firing squad with their rifles in ready position. I have the right to talk to an attorney. This is all a big mistake. Brown fastened a leather strap around Ahmed's waist, pinning his spine to a wooden post. Yeah, a big mistake. You should have cooperated when we asked you about your superiors in Al-Qaeda. I don't know anyone in Al-Qaeda. Do you have any last statement, Haji? But I... I repeat, do you have any last statement? I'm not a terrorist. I'm an American citizen. I have a right to a lawyer and a trial. You've denied me these rights. You will answer to God for your crimes. I think you can see who has all the rights here. Ready? I'm... The eight pointed their rifles at Ahmed. Shivering uncontrollably, Ahmed's knees gave way, and he hung on the post like a man crucified. Fire! The deafening explosion of the eight rifles was the last thing Ahmed heard. He felt the bullets hit his flesh, and his body crumpled forward, hanging lifelessly from the post like a scarecrow. But Trump acts in the true spirit of a dealmaker. It's just that every time I see him do something, and it doesn't work, he'll try again. I mean, he's actually talking about repealing Obamacare when they knew uh, how many millions of more people, besides the 22 million, I think, in the last one, are going to be disenfranchised. Let's listen to this for a second. Uh, you go, here we go. I did want to say that this is what we're going to hear is um, from Cenk Uygar. Do you know the Young Turks? Do you ever hear them? Yes, uh-huh. Okay, well, this is one of his typically dramatic and somewhat comedic orations, kind of summing up what he thinks is the reason for the uh, health care bill's demise. So here we go. And the bill, by the way, the substance is super important. This actually is arguably the worst of their proposals. Uh, 32 million people could have lost their health insurance because of this, because there was no replacement. They just gutted Obamacare and let us bleed out. And next year alone, 17 million people would have lost their health insurance, let alone overall 32 million. So it's a terrible idea. The earlier plan that was not as bad 
was at polling at 17%. It was the earlier play was disastrous and this was worse. So but they, McConnell somehow twisted arms, got the donors in but whatever. And Dean Heller and, and Rob Portman and all these guys who are in swing states uh, just walked off the plank like, okay, I vote yes, even though this is probably my last vote. Uh, okay, I vote yes. And then McCain who was supposed to vote yes came in and is like, sorry all of you. I prefer presidents with better health care plans. That was an excerpt from Ken Ede's novel, A Patriot's Act. You know, I have a lot of ideas about health care. As you know, I'm a medical doctor and uh, watching this disaster unfold, it, it's just laughable. But, you know, my, my main view is that we're having discussions on how to finance and buy into a broken system. It's like saying, let's see, this car doesn't work. It's a lemon, but but let's buy it anyway. And uh, how should we buy it? Should we borrow money? Should we do this? And there's no discussion on how to fix the system. And, and that's the most bothersome thing that I see. Well, let's talk about if, how this system is broken. I mean, wh what are you emphasizing in, in, in that area? Yeah, the, most, the most fundamental thing about a bro the broken system we have, and this is according to the Journal of the American Medical Association, that system only provides or takes care of 10% of the factors that influence your health. The other 90% totally uncovered. And that is prevention, nutrition, mind, body issues, environmental issues. All those things are not covered. In fact, doctors are advised not to even go there because it takes too much time. And I was fired by a corporation who just didn't like me to do that that 90% and spend a lot of time with patients just wasn't good in good for the bottom line. And so here you're paying all this money for 10%, which is excessive drugs, excessive surgery, excessive testing, a whole lot of things that really don't work. They're just fueled by profit. If we were to fix it first, the cost would come down precipitously, drastically. Then we wouldn't be having the discussion we're having now on spending all kinds of money that is just wasted. What I was wondering about, and matter of fact, I was going to ask you, was um, what, what, what percentage, if, if we had a more holistically oriented, uh, I don't know what the right word would be, integratively, uh, uh, integratively, integrative, if we had a better integrated platform, how much of the healthcare cost would be left? Like 10%? I mean, obviously, people get hurt. They have to go to the ambulance or they're shot or they have an accident. There are all kinds of things that you need surgery for and you need certain kinds of drugs, right? Yes. the You know, the drugs, the surgery, those are things to address acute problems, like you mentioned, uh, emergency room type of stuff. And we need those things. But we're trying to apply all those tools for emergent care, for acute care, into a chronic care system like diabetes, arthritis, depression, high blood pressure. All those things respond better to that 90% that's being neglected. Uh, for instance, blood pressure pills lower your blood pressure, but they don't extend your life one day because they don't do anything for the loss of elasticity of the arteries. Mm -hmm. they, they only tell the arteries not to go into spasms and the kidneys not to uh, hold on to too much fluid thereby lowering blood pressure. But the, the, in answer to your question, I think that more than 50% of the cost would come down. And now, why do I say that? Look at the leading countries in the world that have a single-payer system 
they spend half of what we do per person per year. Okay, and they're ranked top five, France, Japan, Canada, etc. Those countries are always ranked up there and they spend half of what we spend. Their longevity uh, is longer than ours. Infant death is lower than ours, etc., etc. We rank dead last in the industrialized world and number 51st in the whole world. Yeah. And we spend double. Double what the best nations spend on healthcare. How much so of I, that? How much of that is divided? Okay, just how much of that is pharmaceuticals? Because we pay twice as much, right? More. Pharmaceuticals, believe it or not, are not the biggest problem. Really? Pharmaceuticals are about a fourth of the cost. The biggest cost is surgery and testing and things like that. But you know, the pharmaceuticals are trying to catch up and get a bigger piece of the pie. It, they're colluding with each other. They are buying generic uh, pharmaceuticals so that uh, generics don't come out when they could. As you know, any brand name has a like a 17-year uh, patent, if you will, to to market their drug exclusively. After that, generics can take over. Well, big pharma pays or buys generic pharmaceuticals so they don't uh, put out the the generic form of the drug when it could go out in the market. So uh, it's it just, it's so disgusting. So that's why I cringe when I hear discussions about healthcare because we're trying to finance a broken system. In my opinion, single payer system is, is, is the best, but it's not gonna work in the United States, not yet. Uh, most people are not ready for it. So what I propose is that we expand Medicare and Medicaid and let those people who don't want to have insurance don't have insurance. I don't have insurance. I think it sucks, and I'm willing to take the risk because I eat my veggies. So if we educate people, diseases, the incidence of diseases drops drastically. Of course, you know, we need some modicum of protection. So I say a catastrophic type of insurance uh, for the emergency room, you know, some catastrophe like that would be nice to have. And uh, and that would be a lot cheaper than what they're trying to force us to have. Well, I, I understand that. But, you know, there's something that really bothers me that I have not figured out. I mean, I was really, you know, I've told you the story. You know, I was cured of asthma basically through nutrition. And I thought I was going to die. And, and actually, my, my symptoms were alleviated in three days. Uh, although they persisted if I took any sugar or anything uh, for a, at least a year, and then I, I could take I could take in more bad foods. But anyway, the point is, I was actually involved with uh, somebody who ran a health food store. It was actually a famous at that time a famous writer in nutrition and also a broadcaster. But I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I found I found out that the stuff in his in his books later after I was cured. And I never talked to him about it because I was doing other things for him. Uh, so I, and I, I'm, what I see is this tremendous programming that people have. I was cured by accident. I met somebody in a health food store who owned it who, who helped me out. But I don't know, uh, pe people don't often have that kind of privilege there. And then I see these enormously long pharmaceutical commercials that are basically telling you that 20 reasons you'll be able to be maimed and, you know, three or four reasons that you might die. And I don't get it. Why are people 
I know that I was sort of closed-minded. Is this programming? What is it? What it keeps people from looking at what's going on? I think programming is an excellent uh, word. And yes, people are programmed to rush into the doctor doctor's office, get a drug, and get out. In fact, a study came out saying that the level of satisfaction, patient satisfaction, drops precipitously after five minutes because the patient is not getting the drug he thought he'd get. Uh, most people have watched those commercials, so they're conditioned to pop a pill and off you go, and that's the health care we have. We need to take time with patients, and I think if we do that, it's like an investment uh, and educate people like you were educated by accident, health store. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't it's not that complicated. You know, I think a big problem too is people are programmed uh, addicted to bad foods, particularly sugar, and so they just can't stop eating all the garbage out there that's heavily marketed, even to children and school watching TV. So people are addicted to sugar. And there are articles saying that sugar is just as addicting as heroin and cocaine and, and Valium and endorphins, etc. And so uh, those forces are terrific. And then throw in the profit motive for the health industry. Then the, the whole system is incentivized to make money. They don't care if people don't get better. They just got to make money. The system is so big it needs to be fed. We created a monster that needs to be fed. So you have to have X number of x-rays done and MRIs and CTs and blood draws at a clinic for it to be profitable. So if you came in, come in with a hangnail, yeah, you might get an MRI. I'm being facetious just to meet the bottom line if, if you get what I mean. Yes, I do. I'd like to uh, – let's listen to a, <laughs> a part of a video called – Bernie Sanders dances on the grave of Trump's health care bill. Uh, <laughs> I love Bernie. Yeah, I do too. I, I wish he was a little more holistic in his thinking, though. But he's got part of the, he got the pricing right. I mean, he got the single payer right. But I don't know if he got the rest right. Uh, let's hear it. What went wrong, Judy, is they brought forth a disastrous health care bill that had the support of all of 12% of the American people uh, that was opposed by the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association, the AARP, and virtually every national healthcare organization uh, understood that when you throw 22 million people off of health insurance, when you cut Medicaid by 800 billion, when you raise premiums for older workers, when you defund Planned Parenthood, and you make it almost impossible for people with pre-existing conditions to get the health care they need and can afford, you know what? You got a bill that's a stinker. It should not go anyplace, and it did not go anyplace. And that's a good thing for the American people, and I thank the millions of people who stood up and fought back and said that that legislation is not what this country is about. Did you, could he's you hear wonderful. that? No. Yes, he's wonderful. He had a, a debate with Cruz on, uh, I think it was CNN, uh, on health care. Right. Of course, you know, it was totally on Bernie's side. And, and But, you know, I was very impressed by both of them, how civil they were. They laughed. Yeah, I saw it. They, yeah, they, it's true. They teased each other, and we've lost that. You know, the thing about the Democrats being obstructionist, well, this is exactly what the Republicans did to Obama 
uh, eight years ago and throughout the eight years. And so, I mean, it's, this is like a race to the bottom. You know, yes. we get more and more negative, and we've lost a civility that it was so refreshing to see at that debate. It was. Uh, I mean, the result of Cruz's thinking might not be so uh, no. so uh, sanguine. <laughs> no, I, the poor man was repeating everything he's heard, a bunch of platitudes that make no sense. Yeah. Uh, just regurgitating facts from Big Pharma, the big insurance company, the big food companies. Those are worn out ideas that don't work. And, and now Patricia Welch in Fly Me to the Moon. things that bothers me is the it's it's the way one of the programming aspects I think of a lot lot of people in this culture and perhaps a lot of people who voted for um, Trump as well as for other Republicans 
is they think that the trickle-down theory works. So they're not really, re I'm not hearing them, most of them, uh, you know, I, I look at a lot of different things, uh, complaining about $80 billion being taken from Medicaid and being transferred to the, uh, to the wealthiest people in this country. That's astounding. And, and, and he, it's like he's, he's a, a magician who can actually compel people to see something, but he's not even hiding what he's doing. Yeah. Can, can you explain that to me, please, doctor? <laughs> I don't understand that. Uh, well, it would just, he promised bread and circus to people, which is what the Romans figured out <laughs> at, at Circus Hepanicum. They, they figured out the Romans how to control people, just promised the moon, and then any demagogue can get in there. But, you know, Johnny, I quit watching CNN and Fox News. Not that I ever watched Fox News, but I did try to see what their take on things were. On Fox News, Trump can do no wrong. CNN, Trump can do no right. And so I started watching PBS, you know, uh, no yeah. bells and whistles, the straight facts as much as they, they can round them up. I just fear that there's no possible way that Trump is wrong all the time. And so I always have to throw that in, you know, because... Uh, I, I liked a lot of what he said, and I, he said, and I, I, I sympathize with all those voters. It's just that the man doesn't have the character, the, the knowledge, the, the personality to be a president. He's not presidential, so everything comes out wrong, you know? Well, I think his policies are very, they're kind of, I think his policies were developed by him in order to become president, because he was quite different before. And, and I, unfortunately, I think they're based on hate and, uh, you know, different kinds of ethnic and religious prejudice. And yes. that, that, that's controlling. I mean, think about these, these people from these countries who have been, uh, particularly from Syria, who because of R and the Russians and other, uh, you know, other factions, uh, rebels and so forth, bombing them and gassing them and doing all these things to them, they want to leave. So they leave, and now, well, I think I need 90 days to think about this. <laughs> uh, I mean, so people are dying because of that. I understand that, um, that something like 340 civilians a day are being killed in these different little wars around the world by us uh, as collateral damage, of course. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just collateral damage. It's just like when the po policeman doesn't put the hand on the person's head as they shove him into the car. Ah, if he bumps his head, so what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it's just collateral yeah. damage, right? Well, I agree with all that. It just, just to, just to try to be a little more balanced, I'd say I agree with Trump with the trade issues. You know, well, so I, do I. So do I. Remember Peron, the big sucking sound? Yes. He warned us, he warned us and we didn't listen, and that's exactly what happened. It's completely, you know, there's another person who talked about that. I don't know if you ever heard him. His name was Chuck Harder for the people. He was, uh, had a radio program and it was like pretty famous, uh, but it was a little counterculture, you know, like Long John Neville. Ever hear of him? Yes. Uh -huh. well, well, he was, for the people, was more political. He really went after Clintons and he went at, and particularly went after NAFTA was one of the things. And I, I remember, I didn't get it. I, I, I sort of sympathize with it, but later on I realized these trade agreements are destroying our country. And I was, exactly. very, I was very glad when he, t he took care of, 
you know, the first one, but, you know, the Trans-Pacific one. But I, I just I just don't uh, – I'm not sure if he's going to carry f- through with all that, you know. Uh, I don't think he will. I, I, I'm betting that he's not going to last the four years. I, I don't think he can. I don't think it's possible. And it's not because of that. It's because of other things. I mean – Well, it's, it's a compilation of a whole lot of things. The um, – yeah, one one of the things that I think now in my mind is that he is a sort of, you know, Clinton. The Clintons are part of a cartel. I don't know what to call it, but I'll call it a cartel that is basically for a, a kind of world government, and it's kind of a fascist, fascist world government, and uh, it involves destroying borders, destroying co- sovereignty, and also and this sort of thing. But it's basically a form of empire. Well, I, I don't think Trump's in that, that group. I think he wants a, to extend the American empire. And these kind of empires are basically for, for an elite. And so, you know, he's, he's, that's what I think. Well, I don't know if it's true, but uh, it's my speculation. Well, I think a lot of politicians are enamored with this globalization thing. And I, I was, too, at the beginning. But then I began to see that it all favors the rich and the powerful. Exactly. I, I was all for Maastricht, you know, the European Union and all that stuff and globalization I, in a romantic way. I wanted a united world, and it's very appealing that way. But when you begin to see that we're globalizing just to screw the poor and enrich the rich, then then it just doesn't work for me anymore. Exactly. I, I you know, the no, I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe you remember the Latin, but the New World Order, which is on the I think on the dollar bill. Yeah. Right. Well, that, yeah. that is a Masonic idea, and it's very much, I think, what you're talking about. And I believe, I believe that my whole life I still do. We do need a stronger world government. Not, we don't need to destroy the sovereignty of nations, but there are certain things like environmental and social political justice and things like that, uh, financial, some kind of financial foundation so people aren't terribly poor, that, that needs to be controlled beyond a, a sovereign nation. Uh, no more wars. I mean, if oh you well, have... yes, I, I would say. I'm sorry, I forgot that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, forgive me, but yeah, of course, we're having these ridiculous wars. These wars are ridiculous. But of course, the problem is, is that you know, in, in a lot of cases, they use the the dictator like uh, Assad or Saddam Hussein. You know, they use them. They use them as an excuse for driving through their, and and the economic plan, whatever they want, if it's a pipeline or it's some oil or whatever it is, they're making money off those, all those weaponry, all that weaponry. Yeah. Wars a rocket, a racket, you know, that book. Yeah. uh, I do. Yeah, exactly. That, that's why the whole North Korea thing gives me pause, but let you see what happens. Yeah. I think that the North Korean thing is, is a little bit of an aberration. Because of what happened, you know, in North and South Korea, and how they split, and this, how this person and his family were isolated for so long, they're not, uh, you know, they're, you, you could say they're a form of communism, but really they're a form of monarchy, you know, strange. Yeah, dictatorship. Yeah, super dictatorship. Well, anyway, thank you for for joining me on this new adventure of ours. We'll see how it all works out, and. Uh, I'm looking forward to our next uh, exciting discussion of everything. Well, thanks, Johnny. You take care now, and uh, well, thank you for everything. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.
All right, thanks. Threshold Radio is owned by New Galaxy Enterprises, a full-service media content development company. Sponsors not only get ads on the program, but are offered packages including website design, graphics, audio, video, music, and jingles. Programs are archived and continue to be promoted beyond their first broadcast. Visit us at www.thresholdradio.com or contact me at johnnybluestar at gmail.com. We now go out with a song by master filmmaker, crop circle expert, and singer, songwriter, musician, composer, Patty Greer. It's called Love Heals Everything.